That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Every day I, I, I went to the Tribune and put my heart out there just like you do at the Sun Times and how you did years ago at WIMD. You put your heart out there, you put your soul in it. Uh, but I had to think with my head. I had to think for my family and for the future. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is former Chicago Tribune columnist John Cass. You are my worthy former City Hall competitor and my forever friend. How are you? Fine, Fran. I'm great. Um, it is great to be in business for myself and having left the Tribune and... Uh, I think one of the first columns I wrote as my in my new life, I credited you for that great story on uh, the bizarre compromise Lori Lightfoot offered. What was it? The uh, Usable Lakeshore Drive hybrid, which is Ben again, by the way. That compromise is. She's. I was she's just. I was just, I was just about to say to you: anything new going on in your life? Any big changes? <laughs> oh man, a lot of big changes, friend. I'm kidding, First, of course. Your professional yeah. life has just changed immeasurably. Last week, you wrote your final column for the Tribune, and it ended an extraordinary—I think it's forty-some odd year run—that saw you go from a reporter at the Daily Calumet to City Hall reporter against me, to political reporter, and then to the Tribune's page three columnist, replacing the late great Mike Royko. How and why did you decide to take the buyout and join so many of your colleagues exiting a newspaper that is now owned by a hedge fund named Alden Capital? Uh, it was time, Fran. It was, I wanted to be the, I hoped to be the guy to turn out the lights there. I loved the Tribune, my time there. I loved competing with you. Uh, I loved our year, our many years in the City Hall press room where we'd squabble and fight like brother and sister every day, every day, friends. And, uh, and uh, you and your family lo loved you and your family and still do. Betty and I still do. And uh, of course, and uh, I left because they offered the buyout. I figured either I take it or I, you know, if I don't take it, well, I have to look out for my family and uh, so I started a new business immediately. Actually, I started it before I left. And when I left, uh, I linked to it. It's a new uh, 
website called johncastnews.com. And happily, just the other day, Tom Bevan of Real Clear Politics linked my story, uh, my column on Lori Lightfoot to his national site. And that's where we're, that's what I'm doing now. I haven't stopped working, friend. I'm like you. If I don't work, I die. You know, we have to keep moving like sharks. So, so I'm so doing that. So was this your choice or did you feel that a company known for cutting the heck out of newspapers, whatever newspapers it buys, would be headhunting for people like you and others if you didn't take advantage of this one-time offer? I never thought people would hunt for me uh, if I didn't take the, this this offer, but I I rationally, you know, I every day I, I, I went to the Tribune and put my heart out there, just like you do at the Sun-Times and how you did years ago at WIND. You put your heart out there, you put your soul in it. Uh, but I had to think with my head. I had to think for my family and for the future. So... Uh, I think I made the right decision. And I would suggest that uh, many who followed me in the buyouts were thinking the same thing. You know, you have to think with your head. And by the way, everybody, um, I've watched Fran interview people, mayors, governors, and now she's interviewing me with the same pointed questions. It's really unnerving, Fran. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I don't mean to do that. Well, I'm trying no, to no, figure no. out which, tr- which mass exodus is bigger, the one at the Trib or the one at Lori Lightfoot City Hall? <laughs> well, <clears throat> I left on good terms with the Tribune. I never would trash my old newspaper. And uh, nobody had to write me uh, an email with... Uh, I need office time 16 times in a row, you know, six. <laughs> she's melting down, friend. She is melting yeah, down. It, it, it does seem that way based on uh, what happened at the city council. And we'll get into that. But all kidding aside, John, yeah, this right. is really a sad time for Chicago journalism, isn't it? A time when watchdogs are needed more than ever. There are dramatically fewer of us. Do you worry about what will become of the Chicago media in general and the Chicago Tribune in particular? I worry all the time about the people of Chicago without uh, experienced journalists to know what to ask. You know, you and I have broken in a lot of kids in our time, uh, help them along. But you, it, to cover City Hall as you do, Fran. Um, it takes not. It takes years and years of watching just to begin to cover it. You have to know which you know which aldermen are doing what and how they're doing it. And I think that the loss of perspective uh, will be devastating. You know, look, I'm just one guy, but the loss of perspective in general, as new as the old models shrink. Uh, is dangerous and devastating for the people because uh, we're going to go through a period of time. Now we mentioned that Lori is is melting down. She's inexperienced. We're going to go through a period of chaos, political chaos in Chicago coming up, upheaval and uh, reforming the city. And as a result, uh, people, I think the people of Chicago need people 
journalists who know what the hell they're talking about and know what they're doing to sort of help them see the future and what's coming. And without experienced people, uh, God forbid, friend, I just want you to keep working forever because uh, people need you. Your readers need you to cut through all the noise and nonsense. And you and I both know that Chicago politics is a continuum. Things do not happen in a vacuum. There is seldom anything that happens that hasn't happened in some form before that needs to relate back to it. And the problem with young reporters who don't do their homework and don't care to ask the questions is that everything is viewed as a one-off, and it's not. It's not a one-off. What what you... Uh, wrote today and what you will write tomorrow, what I wrote yesterday, what I will write tomorrow is based on years of uh, standing in corridors back in 1983 uh, during the council war period. We're waiting for Eddie Verdoliak to come out of the office uh, and talk. It's it's based on years of uh, chasing Burton Terrace. <laughs> Down the stairs when he tested, when he, you know, went before the grand jury to talk about Freddie Rohde. And uh, it takes years to, to know uh, what the game is and how the game is played. But and it's not a one-off. You haven't missed a beat. You start, you've started your own website. You write in columns just as you did at the trip. You're still doing podcasts, I believe, right? And you're posting them on the website, right? I'm, po- I'm doing uh, at johncastnews.com, we're posting podcasts, my columns. I'm just starting. We're just starting to learn how to how to work that website. We've got a lot of subscribers, and uh, how many do you of, have, and how many do you need to make it? Uh, we have tens tens of thousands right now of subscribers, email subscribers. Uh, I, I think the number is 35,000 dedicated email subscribers, and I can't tell you how many uh, page hits. There's, I don't know what all that means, really. I'm, I'm just, I, I'm, a, I write, I write and I report. I don't know about the how websites work, but the web designers at Yellowbox were just amazed that the day I left and wrote that uh, last column for the Tribune was Friday, which I still think is one of the most read things in the newspaper today, you know, on, online. Um, we launched the uh, johncastnews.com the same moment that I pressed the button. We pressed the button and released it uh, the same moment that the column came up. So it was good timing, you know, good business timing. And for that, I have to credit uh, my good friend and yours, Tom Serafin, uh, who told me, you know, the way Seraphim thinks, you have to have a plan. You have to have a plan, John. <laughs> and, and so I had a plan. I didn't so want is to... the plan to sell advertising on this website? Will you be charging subscribers? How will it work? How will you make a living at this? Um, that will be determined, but I assume it'll be some hybrid of both. Plus, I do the co- uh, podcast that's on the website. Plus, uh, I'm in meetings now in, with various broadcast entities to uh, continue, you know, talking to the people of Chicago. So I think they might want to hear what I have to say. So 
lots going on. And it's when you go into business for yourself, it's even uh, it's exhilarating and exciting. And uh, I'm totally pumped for it. Yours has been, and I imagine will continue to be, a conservative voice at a time when some people believe there is a cancel culture that doesn't tolerate dissent. Do you worry about that? Did it make you a target, and did, or did it increase your audience and embolden your followers? Fran, uh, you remember what happened to me last year? That was the that was a very a most difficult time when uh, some. Uh, not not the Tribune itself, but some colleagues in the uh, union defamed me as an anti anti semite as a as a religious. Which opinion. I know is not true, by the way. Yeah, I I would think that uh, you would, if Mark Eisman were here, he might testify for me, and so many others uh, stood up and wrote pieces. Um, in real and why did they politics. think that? Why did they think that? Because of George Soros? Is that what happened? What ha- yes, I th- well, I think what happened generally is that I was, I clearly I offered a dissenting voice. I, I am conservative, and the reason I became conservative is because I covered City Hall for like, you know, so long, 20 years, and uh, I saw how government works from the inside, and uh, it really bothered me. And so then uh, I'd written a column about Kim Fox and state's attorney Kim Fox and her financial backing. And I linked to the Wall Street Journal, the, the Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, USA Today, many newspapers. I linked to them and referred to their reporting. The Sun-Times uh, re- reported, I think Tina reported, I, or I don't remember who who wrote the story, that Soros gave $2 million to Kim Fox. So I, wrote, I put all that together because he was building, uh, uh, he was supporting prosecutors, local prosecutors in various states, New York, uh, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, uh, of the uh, Kim Fox variety. And by that, I mean, let them go, you know, catch and release prosecutors who aren't really prosecuting and thought that was a, uh, that would be a significant uh, issue down the road, which it is, as you see by the street crime and people getting out of uh, jail and on electronic monitoring and shooting each other after while they're on electronic monitoring. So I wrote that column and I think I can't speak to the minds of those who disparaged me and defamed me, but I think that they didn't like the fact that I refused to join the union. They repeatedly asked me to join, and um, so they defamed me. It had to be a devastating blow to to be stabbed in the back by your own colleagues. um, Well, it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't happy about it. Um, but, you know, we move on. So I moved on. So I, I, let's I, talk about the conservative voice, though. Is it in danger? I think in newsrooms across the country, New York Times, even the Wall Street Journal's newsroom rebelled against their fine editorial board. You see it all across the country, just the way people see it in the schools with uh 
critical race theory being taught and all this other non, uh, other stuff being taught. So it's come out of the universities and it's into the newsrooms. And I don't think, I don't think that the, most of the people, the American people, uh, are one way or the other. I think they appreciate uh, voices that are outside the uh, you know collective. I'm, I've never been uh, someone to go with a herd, and uh, I hate being herded, and I know you do too. Um, I don't even know your politics, friend, but I know that you don't want you uh, you. I know that you see. Uh, how people are herded through emotion and and trigger words and so forth, and uh, I refuse to to do it. I refuse. So does that make your website more popular because this voice seems to be disappearing from newspapers? I don't know, friend. I, I hope so. I hope that's part of it. But even back in the day, when I was at City Hall and realized what Daly was doing to the city and how. He was hollowing out, he and his the clique were hollowing out the city, and you see the result of it now, where they spent and spent and spent money that they didn't have, and now there's no money to, to spend on, on vital programs. And, this, and more and more of the city's, uh, t- the taxpayer's dollar is going to uh, the debt service of things that were done in the past rather than taking care of their their uh their the people's needs today so yeah and selling off assets like the parking meters and the skyway and the downtown garages so we have less money and less assets to deal with the major major pension problems and everything else that we've got right back then i was when i was writing that and i think i uh in the column Putting my, you know, in my opinion, offering that about what we're talking about, uh, Daly and his crew were screaming that I was, you know, against the city. I was trying to hurt the city. I wasn't trying to hurt the city. I was trying to help it. Um, but it is what it is now. You did a wonderful profile of Richard M. Daly for the Tribs Sunday Magazine leading up to the 1996 Democratic Convention in Chicago. I call that the Redemption Convention when everything went perfectly, the weather was perfect, Daly tried so hard to erase the ghost of 1968 that had so haunted his father. What do you remember about that piece you wrote and the insight that it provided about who Richard M. Daly really is? Um, a little inside baseball here. Two things were going on after I wrote the piece. One was that uh, many of the restaurants die, were hurting for business. The, the one that wasn't uh, was Gene. Uh, no, it was uh, Steve Lombardo's place, uh, Gibson's, right? And uh, yeah. the girls at the bar, the, the conventioners going out. But what do I remember about that piece? Um, that daily gave me access. Uh, we had a, like a love hate relationship. And as you know, but daily gave me a lot of access and I was stand- the character of daily. Uh, we were standing at the elevators and he had just, uh, defeat had his people take out Ted Lekowitz, the former Dan Rostenkowski aide. It was, 
Democratic committeeman of the 32nd Ward, I believe. And uh, and Daly was at the at the elevator, and Ted was there. And Ted looked at Daly. You know, he had been vanquished, and he just he smiled and said, "Well, you know." He nodded to Daly, "Hello," and Daly uh, turned to him and said, "How do you feel, Ted? How are you feeling now?" Oh boy, that's cold! Wow. Yeah, there's a lot of cold stuff in that in that uh, column about. I mean that. It, it, I think it made. Uh, I think it it was a Pulitzer finalist. Um, of course, yeah, I've it never was went. so insightful, showing just how just cold he could be and what a bully he could be. He was a bully. He was cold. Uh, I don't. I think he was friendless from the time. I think he was friendless, and uh, I've told this to Lori Lightfoot back when we were talking often, and I said, uh, Lori, you know, at least Daly, for all his uh, faults and manias, had uh, people around him who could tell him no. There was Tim Dignan, as you remember, and Jeremiah. Then he became so closed in after all the corruption and contract cronyism that all he had was Jackie Hurd at the end, really. Really, at the end, but when he had Dagnan and Joyce around him to tell him no, no, Rich, you're and not going to do that. Yeah, and, and, and Eddie, Eddie Bedore, um, he was sailing high. He was at least giving the people some sense that he was running the city competently. And I told Lori Lightfoot that she needed people around her who would tell her no, and she seemed to listen. But then I realized later that. She had no one except maybe uh, the the hard progressives that she fell in with, and no, they wouldn't tell her no. And you see the result. All mayors. The Daly administration was dogged by corruption and contract cronyism. Hired trucks, city hiring, minority contracting scandals, the HDO controlled city hiring. A parade of people went to jail. Daly and George went from a little-known law firm to Chicago's preeminent. Zoning attorney, but like magic, Daly's son, Patrick, had a secret chair of a city sewer contract. His nephews dined at the trough of city pensions. Tim Degnan and Jeremiah Joyce got rich. What was it about Daly that made him so tone deaf to corruption? Uh, we, the, the outward appearance or the, 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 what they sold of him was that just like they sold uh, his father, was that he wasn't about the money. He was only about power. But um, as we see from history, I don't think the dailies ever, you know, I don't think the dailies had to work at Walmart when they retired, you know, as greeters. There was a lot of money coming in, right? There's a lot of money coming in. They, they, they you know, all these deals, Finkel Steel became, became uh, what was that, land... What was that? What is that huge development? Lincoln Yards, right? Yeah. All this stuff, yeah. all this stuff was an inside play. And I, I give Lori credit, uh, and and to an extent, and to, to Rom, that they didn't play that game. But Rom was his own advisor. He was his own uh, press secretary, um, and that was uh, that was his fault. I mean, because you need ed- reporters and columnists need editors. I need editors, Fran, so maybe I'll ship my column over to you when I write it so you can check it out. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 may, and mayors also need 
someone to tell them no. And Lori Lightfoot does not have anyone to tell her no. And she is devolving uh, into a, a puddle of, I don't know, what is it? Like some, like nerves and anguish and anger and it doesn't serve her or the city well yeah let's talk about her and what happened at wednesday's city council meeting leaving the rostrum getting in the face of alderman jeanette taylor when she didn't get her way on her corporation council appointment celia mesa lightfoot seems unable to turn the other cheek does she have the leadership skills to be an effective mayor of chicago in my uh column, The Incredible Lightness of Lightfoot, that's on johncastnews.com, I was told to keep saying this, is that uh, I say she does not have the leadership skills, she does not have the political skills, she does not have any of the um, attributes you need to to run a, run a city. And she does not have a self-understanding uh, of her limitations. So, we're seeing a, a collapse, and, and the the sad thing for the people of Chicago is that they're going to have to go through this, and then when whoever comes to take her out, uh, I, it appears to be Arnie Duncan is coming along, uh, being promoted uh, quietly as the uh, savior, the white knight, if you will. I don't know who's going to take the job, but whoever does is going to go into us. Uh, a system that has been crushed by 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 Lightfoot, and there's also other things going on that are important to the people of Chicago. They don't care who the water reclamation district commissioner is, but they care who the state's attorney is. And I remember Lori Lightfoot had released David Brown to attack uh, Kim Fox last year. He would hold news conferences attacking the uh, prosecutors, if you remember, saying they're not doing their job. They're not the judges aren't doing their job. And then she turns around and endorses Fox, which was yeah. a cynic. And I thought and that was the break with me. I was like, wait, wait a minute. You, what are you what are you doing? But she did. And uh, that's when we broke. And her relationship with the FOP, there's a four-year wait for a new police contract. There's a tidal wave of police retirements. Homicides and shootings and carjackings are up from the record high levels of 2020. What will it take to turn that around? Uh, it will take, uh, you know, like a Herculean effort to do that. Um, it will take a mayor who has uh, sense. You know, she came on early on when she came into office. She had, I don't even know if she still has Klomsky around her, but then she was always with Klomsky, who they're all pro, pro teachers union. And she, uh, she decided to fight it. She wasn't going to fight a two front war. So she picked the teachers union and gave them everything. She gave them the richest contract uh, in America she protected them. She gave them money. She gave them money we didn't have. And she fought at the same time to boost her progressive cred. She picked a war with the police department and with uh, the police union, which I thought was the wrong thing politically. It was the wrong thing for the people of Chicago. Because what do people want? 
pick up my garbage and make let me feel that I'm safe. I don't think the people of Chicago feel they're safe. I just had a friend of mine call me. He's looking down on Michigan Avenue. He said, it's nine right before your show. He said, it's 930. I'm looking down at Michigan Avenue and it's a ghost town. I don't so think is Lori people, Lightfoot a one-termer? Is she? Don't she? For sure? I think she is. Do you? It is looking suspiciously that way. Um, can she turn it around? What will it take to turn it around? Is it too late? As I said in the column uh, that I just wrote uh, after leaving the Tribune, what she'd have to do is to do a 180-degree turn. She'd have to use her lawyer skills and her word games and her facility with language when she's not swearing at someone or screaming at them to um, turn it around and support police, give the police support, give the police a contract, and uh, stop the uh, stop the uh, wildly, you know, left left. Uh, attitude towards police she's defunded them without de you know she hasn't actively defunded them uh, by making speeches well, when but, you close out hundreds of vacancies you're kind of doing that slowly top look you you walk up and down michigan avenue and you see uh police cars there with their lights flashing no cops are in there it's scarecrow scarecrow policing she's taken police from the neighborhoods that are that they're needed and brought them downtown she has detectives working patrol the detectives have to be clearing murder cases not working patrol she's doing all this because she's at least 1500 perhaps even more uh short in terms of manpower on the chicago police department this is ridiculous this is insane and what you have when you overwork 12-hour shifts, no days off, police during the summer with when they don't have, they don't feel the mayor has their back, uh, cops make mistakes. Now, a reporter makes a mistake. We, we misspell a word or uh, uh, conflate a fact. Uh, police make mistakes. They have guns. I, I just don't understand how a responsible person can uh, look at her and think that she's doing the right thing for the city. I have to tell our listeners before we go that when you and I were covering Richard M. Daly, there was a day I will never forget when you the came I saved to your my life. defense, literally and physically, you came to my defense. Would you like to tell that story or should I go first? <laughs> you should tell it. I want to hear your <laughs> no, version. No, no, I want to hear your version. Go. <laughs> All right, so I, 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 I got in. It was a council day, and at city council days, right before the council meeting, we groups would come in and make their pitch on issues, all variety of groups, the bird watchers, the environmentalists, the homeless. And, today, and that day, we, some home, a group of homeless uh, people and their activists, their advocates, came in to address the city hall press room and they they'd stand in the middle of the press room. My desk was uh, opposite yours, about 10 feet, maybe 15 feet apart, facing each other. And everybody, when, uh, when, when you know there's a story when Franny disappears be 
behind her desk when she's on the phone and she drops, you know, you can't see her face. Yeah, under the desk. Under the desk. And then you know, geez, she's got another scoop, another Franz Spielman scoop. (laughs) So uh, homeless uh, activists were in the press room and I'd gotten in there late and they were just leaving. And a few were hanging around and insisting to talk to Fran some more. And it was, we were all trying to get our work done, write our early city council stories. And I said uh, to a guy, uh, you know, sir, um, we, we do this all the time and you're welcome. Please, th- we want to hear what you have to say and we're welcome. You're welcome to come back again. But right now we're, we're busy. We, we have to get our work done. And then uh, you said something, I don't know what, but, you know, if you haven't noticed, Fran is a tough, tough woman, okay? She's no milk toast. So she may have said something, and then the guy did not like what she said. And I said, look, sir, we'll talk to you again. Please come in next, you know, next week or tomorrow or the next day. We want to hear what you have to say. And uh, you said something to him. And he said something to the effect of, I'm going to take my gun and pop off a couple rounds uh, in your head. But he didn't say it that way. It was rather vulgar and street talk. And uh, I was standing in the middle. I was standing in no man's land. I didn't have a desk to, to turn around. And then he left. He walked out the door. And then he came back in. Like he just turned and came back in the door of the press room and he was, and he reached for his waistband when he uh, reached for his waistband. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm in the no man's land here. And, and as he was coming towards you, uh, I, everyone ducked, everybody else. I think Cameron had a heart attack. (laughs) Bill, Bill Cameron, Bob Crawford and those guys were scrambling. And John uh, Cass leaped over his desk, tackled this guy, and tumbled out into the hallway defending me. And for that, I will be forever grateful. You showed me what character you have, what a good person you are, and that will stay with me always. And people need to know that about John Cass. That's who John Cass is he's a man of honor and courage and decency you are a mensch everyone needs to know that and tell us the the name of your website one more time so people can can hit it and become part of your subscription base i want you to join it's called johncastnews.com you go there you can give your uh you can subscribe it's free. Everything's free. The column's free. The, uh, all the content is free now. And you can subscribe by giving your email, and we'll, we're putting together the website to to uh, notify you when things you know when things change and when things when con- new content is is added. Uh, it's a great uh, challenge. I do love it, and uh, I'm so excited for JohnCastNews.com and for. The ability to talk to my good friend Franny, you know, Fran. When we walked, when I got that guy out the door, and we were struggling, I uh, I didn't want to hurt him. I mean, he was a 
bigger than me, but in, th- in those days I was much thinner and fitter. <laughs> and so I was, so I was just saying, so myself, I was covering up and saying, wash his hands, wash his hands, wash his hands. And I, I took his hair and I just wanted to put him down to the ground gently. So I took his hair and gave him a leg kick, you know, a, a sweep to just get him off his feet. And he had so much hair product on his hair that my hand <laughs> my hand slipped off and I slipped off and I was like whoa and I fell to the ground and he was on top of me and then Bo Bo and uh Danny the coppers down this down the down the hall came running. I was like what took you guys so long? And uh <laughs> I they they walked they said we're gonna go for a I think Danny said we're gonna take we're gonna go for a walk, sir. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know where they took him. <laughs> John Cass, thank you so very much for joining us. I wish you the very best of luck on your new endeavor. And I'm going to be watching with interest to see how you do. I bet you're going to be a huge success. You're already a huge success. And we will see you all next week. 